Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And for this week's show, I went to Iceland so you don't have to. Just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding about the fact that I went there. I was trying to take a vacation, but there was this story I just couldn't resist, given my penchant for Cold War tales. And so I squeezed in a little visit to the Icelandic foreign minister and the commander of the Keflavik Air Base to talk about the Americans' return to Keflavik. Okay, one more time. Guðlaugur Thór Þórðarsson. That's Foreign Minister Thordarson trying to help me say his name in some respectable way. In my own defense, I'm no language slouch. I speak Finnish, but I just can't do good lager. Oh, jeez. Anyway, we'll get back to the foreign minister in a couple of minutes. So Keflavik, which is about 50 minutes drive from Reykjavik, was a huge Cold War outpost. You all remember Tom Clancy's Hunt for Red October, set partly in Keflavik, because that's where the good subhunting is. The U.S. was there more than 50 years, and then, in a move the Icelanders feel was rather sudden, though it was under negotiation for years, in 2006, the Americans handed back the base. And abruptly, the roughly 5,000 Americans who lived in Iceland, service members and their families, packed up and left. But now some U.S. military personnel are coming back due to Cold War-like tensions with the Kremlin. Not so many people, but some. They're primarily from the U.S. Navy, and they're coming with P-8 Poseidons, replacing the old P-3 Orion aircraft that used to hang out in the Keflavik hangar. That will require an upgrade in the facilities to the tune of $14.4 million, which made it into last year's U.S. budget. The repairs will soon get underway. They're going to have to build a bigger door for the hangar. They're going to have to reinforce the floor because the new planes are heavier. They're going to build a washing rack to uh, get rid of all that Icelandic sand and salt. I got to visit the site with Captain Jan Gudnason, who's been Iceland's commander of the base for 30 years. He explains how he found out the American submarine hunters were on their way back, and they really were, at that point, on their way. This started, started with 24-hour notice in 2014. After Crimea? May 2014. So Crimea was April 2014. Yeah. So it was very short notice. Did you literally get the call? Yes, yes, yes. Can we come <laughs> tomorrow? Literally 24 hour? Yeah. And you said, gee, it'd be great to see you, but why the rush? No, no, we, we don't ask questions like that. We, I mean, we have been supporting the U.S. Uh, when they are transiting their forces between North America and Europe. We, we are used to things like that. This is what we are here for. But they had to say this is different. They had to explain why this was going to be a different kind of presence. Yeah, yeah. they did that when they showed up. And later it was formalized with the agreement in 2016. Does it make you nervous when you, the Americans say, we think you guys are in a bigger danger than you were two years ago? I think we are in no bigger danger. This, this is not a question about dangers or, or, or a dangerous situation at all, I think. This is a question about situational awareness. This is all question about knowing what the neighbor is doing. 
knowing what the neighbor is doing. And they're not talking about Greenland or Norway. But it also means Iceland is back as a significant geostrategic location. Now, just for your background, this country has roughly 350,000 people, no military of its own. And as the foreign minister will explain, the country relies for its security on its NATO membership and on other countries following the rules of the international order. So for more of the diplomatic context on Iceland's role, I had the great fortune of snagging a few minutes at very late notice with Foreign Minister Guðlaugur Thór Þórðarsson. There, that sounds much better than me trying it. Here's the Foreign Minister. I mean, this is very simple. It's just, there's a reason they have this submarine surveillance. It's because there are more submarines submarines around, which hasn't been for a long time. And uh, there is no indication of an interest of building up a new base, which was a huge thing at the time. At one time, in the middle of uh, or the height of the Cold War, this was one of the biggest towns in Iceland, you could say that. But now we, uh, uh, and that's for this simple reason, that there are uh, submarines, which we haven't seen for a very long time around Iceland. And these, all, uh, th- these things that we was... Uh, we were all familiar with as the Gio Gate uh, and so on. This has, uh, is something that could say uh, relevant again. And uh, it's not only uh, submarine surveillance around Iceland, it's also that uh, you will see uh, NATO as an organization is looking more into the North Atlantic than it's done for a very long time. Uh, and uh, we see now there are uh, U.S. operated more than 150 days uh, in Iceland for submarine surveillance, uh, up from uh, 20 days in 2014. But uh, this is not the same as having a base. I saw in the press that every, that everybody's having to make statements about the Americans are not coming back. We're not start. We're not reopening a base. Mm. I mean, was that something that Icelanders are really worried about? Do they care whether the Americans would or not? I mean, why? There didn't seem to be a large outcry, from what I could tell. It didn't seem that that Icelanders were really afraid the Americans were coming back in force. I mean, why is that so important to to deny? No, I mean, it's just that it's important to put this in uh, perspective. Uh, we all know why this is happening. It's because that we have uh, seen the activities from uh, the Russian military, which we haven't seen for a long time. But this is all started, you could say, after Ukraine. And, uh, of course, we uh, find it very uh, uh, disturbing uh, for when we see international law broken, as it was done then. And of course, it's a, a ser- extremely serious thing when you see uh, borders being changed by uh, military force in Ukraine, which hasn't been uh, done since in the Second World War. So, uh, uh, and uh, we don't look at uh, the Russians as our enemy. We want to have a good relations with the Russian and uh, the Russian people. We will hope to see them in the Russian, uh, could see the Russians in the uh, European family, but we need to. They need to do it on uh, the same values as uh, other European nations. So this is a, a part of a, a bigger picture. It's not a big discussion about uh, reopening the base or not. What of course is is the discussion is that. Uh, I think that it's not uh, only an Icelandic thing that we will see. We, we uh, 
we don't want to see tensions uh, between uh, nations anywhere in the world, or at least overall very close to close to us, and then uh, that's something that worries people. But uh, it's not uh, the big discussion. It's not really about the base. It's just that uh, we are seeing activities we ha which we haven't seen before, and uh, hopefully we will. Uh, it will end. But at this moment, uh, it's hard to be very optimistic. Yeah, things aren't going in the right direction for mm. tensions to end, are they? Unfortunately, not. And we are seeing a pattern. And uh, and the Sainsbury attack was maybe the last in the line, and maybe something that uh, then could say the Western world said uh, this is not something. This need to be stopped, and it has to be. And uh, we are uh, fully uh, participating when it comes to uh, uh, unity of uh, the Western world, and especially the, uh, of NATO. In fact, you're ahead of everybody. You decided that your diplomats wouldn't go, only you and the UK so far. Iceland has been quite bold in making a statement on Salisbury. Well, I, th I think we need to look at, as I mentioned, in, in the big picture. I mean, we uh, as Icelanders, we really do understand uh, the importance of uh, international law. We are really dependent on the uh, international community and the international law uh, that they are not broken. We cannot threaten anyone with force. And we're not interested, even if we could. So, uh, as a peaceful nation, we think it is very important that uh, these values, which we uh, really uh, share with uh, our friends and allies, when it's human rights, uh, the democratic system, rule of law, that should be upheld. And I think that the big thing now is that the, the nations who uh, really uh, could say pro these values, they need to be very united and try to fight for it. It's, it's unfortunately there are only a small part of the world who uh, have, have these privileges of things that we see as uh, we, we take for granted. But they are not, unfortunately, they cannot be taken for granted. So uh, we need to uh, stay united and, uh, we are, and we are there. I'm old enough to have been living in Scandinavia when Iceland was the first country to recognize Lithuania's Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in 1990. I reported on it way back then. Yeah. You guys have always been out front. Yeah. Well, I, I think we have a voice. We will not uh, change the world. Uh, <laughs> uh, we will, at least we will not solve uh, <laughs> problems of the world, uh, at, uh, at least not, uh, not on our own. But we have a voice. And I think it's our duty. And I think it's a good uh, understanding in Iceland that we have the duty to speak out when we need to. And we have to st speak out for the values we uh, think that everyone should have. Let, tell me what the, um, with the, with the, the subs coming around this area again, what does that tell us? I mean, is this still the best way to get intelligence? What can they probe from, from the Icelandic waters? And why didn't they need to in the last 15 years when we didn't see this happening? Um, aren't there better ways to get whatever the Russians are looking for in the waters around Iceland than sending very expensive underwater vehicles this way? Well, you're maybe not asking the right person. You should maybe ask Lavrov about those things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, uh, would it obvious that uh, you were sending some kind of message and uh, these new, new submarines are harder to find uh, than uh, the old ones. 
and uh, of course it's a big threat to everyone when they if uh, when you have a submarine like this that no one knows where are and so on and I guess that that's that's the uh, whole purpose and uh, that's the point but uh, uh, for us of course we don't know where and uh, the we don't know their their strategy. They they make their own own strategy, and uh, but what we need to do is just to show that uh, we stick together and solidarity with uh, inside NATO is extremely important. We thought that uh, things wouldn't go back this way as they are, and they are not at the same level as during the Cold War. This is not. We are not yet there, and hopefully we will not be there. And as I mentioned, and it's not only Iceland that the. Uh, NATO countries do not uh, look at uh, Russia as their enemy. As uh, this is not the same as we had uh, the, when we had the Warsaw Pact, but it's very important to give a very strong message that we stick together, uh, and NATO is very united with the countries which we cooperate with. Uh, for example, uh, other Nordic countries like Sweden and Finland. But with the U.S. coming back um, and renovating part of the base, mm -hmm. that's not a NATO operation, that's a U.S. operation. So this is happening bilaterally. I mean, are you also getting NATO assurances, or is this enough that the U.S. has this capability to then plug into bigger NATO defenses? Well, we, have a, we are part of NATO, and we have had numbers of uh, NATO uh, uh, countries which are taking the surveillance uh, Air like the duty, yeah. yeah, the flyover duty, I mean the airspace patrol. Yeah, airspace so patrol. So the same that's over the Baltics, they're also watching over you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then we have this bilateral agreement with the U.S., which we have had for a very long time. So this is twofold. And, uh, but, I mean, it's quite easy. The, the reason they are uh, building these uh, infrastructure in at, uh, at Keplavik is because they need to because of new uh, airplanes and new technology. If, if that wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't have done it otherwise. But the main thing is the reason we have the surveillance, even the, both the submi submarine and the others, is because of uh, that uh, the activities of the Russians. And do you think, though, um, and I'm getting, we already have to wrap up. It's only been 11 minutes. Mm. Um, do you think that this, having a U.S. presence again, however small it's going to be, mm -hmm. um, makes Iceland more of a target again? That is something that I've heard from sort of the peace movement that doesn't want any U.S. presence back on the island. Well, we uh, tried to be neutral at one point. That didn't do <laughs> quite that well. Well, you haven't been in war. No, Since. but uh, we, we sat here in, in the, the beginning of the Second World War and uh, we, we, we were quite worried for a reason that we would be occupied. Yeah. And then we were just hoping it would be the Brits. And fortunately for us, that happened. We, uh, if, you be a, if you want to be a totally neutral country, then you have to have a large military. And uh, when you're uh, people of 350,000, then you need to... Uh, I spent a whole lot of your budget to build just a small army, you know, military. So that's just how things are. I, I, uh, I cannot see any, any country in, uh, close to us which is uh, trying to be neutral 
or uh, and even though you see for example our friends in Finland and, and Sweden they are definitely not neutral they are the closest allies of, of NATO but they are not in uh, military alliance but they have a, a very strong military. Finland has the largest largest number of, of uh, people under arms if they needed it bigger than any other NATO country. Yeah Sweden has started drafting again. Yeah that's right. So uh, we need to look at uh, the Baltics too, drafting yeah, yeah. again. Oh yes, yes. So uh, we just have to look at uh, <laughs> options uh, in the real world, and uh, it's very important for us to uh, have uh, be a part of uh, NATO. And it's very important to us to have bilateral agreement with the U.S. for obvious reasons, both this bilateral agreement and also uh, uh, being a member of NATO is a cornerstone of our security. And uh, in the perfect world then we, you wouldn't need to have uh, any activities, military activities, but we are not there yet. Until then, then we just have to uh, uh, yeah, be a, a part of this uh, strong alliance. Well, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. That's Icelandic Foreign Minister Thordarson with a comprehensive overview of Iceland's strategic place in the world, including its surprise ascent to playing in this year's FIFA World Cup which the minister himself and other dignitaries will skip in protest over the poisoning of former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter, an act pinned by the West on Russia. That's all our time for now. Thanks so much to my guests and to Sven Gudmarsson from the Icelandic Foreign Ministry for helping me set up interviews with both the foreign minister and Captain Jan Gudnason at Keflavik Air Base. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for sponsoring Channeling Brussels. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.